So how many of you have been on our Mexico mission trip before? Raise your hand if you've been on our Mexico. How many of you are planning to go potentially? Awesome. Uh, Every year, PCC sends about 150 adults and students to Mexico. Uh, My name is Tony Gapastone, one of the pastors here on staff. The last time I went was in 1999. I haven't been able to go since then, and I might actually be able to go this year because of the way spring break falls after Easter, which is really cool. And I started to think about how much work and effort it takes to get to Mexico for us as a church, and tons of money. Are there any high school students in here? Raise your hand if you're a high school student. Any high school students in here? One, two. Chris, I see you. Do you have your permit, Chris? You do? Awesome. Okay, cool. It's going to work. So imagine if even though the April event, uh, the April mission trip happens six months from now, imagine if Jesus said to us, actually, November 5th sounds like a good day to send everybody in the worship center to Mexico. And we start going, what do you mean, Jesus, six months from now, we need to plan, we need to raise money, we need to get all the vans. It takes a lot of vans to get down to Mexico. And Jesus goes, well, what do you guys got? So we all start scrambling around. We're asking people are taking out their, their, uh, their pennies, their coins, their mints, uh, their, their credit cards, whatever. And yeah, they go, okay, cool. They bring up Chris Rubing. He's a high school student. He's got his permit. And uh, the mom, you know, I, I don't know, Kelly, if you have a minivan, whatever car she's driving, we got this and we got all this money right here, Jesus. Is this, is this enough? We would all be thinking, you're crazy. There's no way we can go to Mexico on that short of notice with not enough prep, not enough money, and with a kid who's got his high school permit in his mom's minivan. But that's really kind of how Jesus works sometimes. And in this story, in Mark chapter 6, I really was thinking about that's, imagine what a a modern day question might be. Maybe it's in the same way living in the Bay Area. Jesus has said, you're all to live here. That's a miracle in and of itself, isn't it? Uh, With how expensive it is to live here with rents and mortgage and everything. And imagine coming to Jesus after he says, hey, I want you to buy a house and live here in Redwood City. And you hold up, you know, a Ziploc bag of change. How foolish that might seem. I see the same thing here in Mark chapter 6. So uh, open your Bibles if you have your Bibles. Uh, It'll be on the screen as well. Or if you have your phone, we use what's called YouVersion. You can go to the App Store and just um, search Bible app. And that same message notes that we use here every Sunday can be found on there if you'd rather interact digitally. So um, watch these verses, okay? I want to just quickly go over there and see what we see. Owen Wong already read them, but Mark chapter 6, verse uh, 34 to 44. So verse, um, sorry, verse 30, actually. The apostles gathered around. Um, They didn't have a chance to eat. Jesus said, uh, come, they've been working so hard ministering. Come, let's find a place to rest. So they went away in a boat to a solitary place. Many saw them, though, going where they were, and they ran on foot. Like, they see the boat running away, and all these people start running on foot around the lake to meet Jesus and his disciples. And verse 34 says, when they landed, Jesus had compassion on them. Even though the disciples were burnt out, they were tired, they were ready to find a rest, they even promised a rest by Jesus, and then all of a sudden Jesus says, oh, let's start teaching these people. They look like they're lost. They need a shepherd. Now, verse 35 said it was late in the day, and the disciples came and said, hey, this is a remote place. It's late. Send these people away so they can buy themselves something to eat. They were just kind of done with Jesus' way of showing compassion at inconvenient times. And I'll have you know that early on in chapter 6, it's reported by Mark here 
that John the Baptist was killed. So a good friend, the cousin of Jesus, that they would have known. So there's a, a, a season here of stress, of grief, of, of pain, of uh, a high pace. And the disciples just want to get rid of all these people and have a nap. How many of you are parents and ever feel like that's your life, right? Like, can you just get rid of these kids and just have a nap? But it's always inconvenient, as I see Mia rocking uh, Duke back there, awesome, precious gift. God invites us at inconvenient times with questions sometimes that cause us to evaluate. Do we believe we have enough? Can we step into the things that Jesus asks us to do? So uh, scripture on here, um, anyone want to comment? Anything else that you saw or heard as Owen read? I'm just going to go through, um, look verse 36, says, send people away. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. What do the disciples say in verse 37? Ella? Go ahead louder, sorry. More than half a year's wages. We don't have enough money. I mean, imagine if Jesus asked you to do something that would cost half of what you make in a year. Start backpedaling. There's no way. Do you expect us to walk all those miles with this money that we don't have? How has anyone ever felt like that? That Jesus asked you to do something that seems so outrageously huge, so insurmountable, that to even say yes would feel like you would be depleted of everything you have. Maybe even not just financially, but emotionally. I feel like this every day of my life. I feel like this is the mode of operation that Jesus consistently asks me to live in a relationship of trust with him. Because I feel as if he's always asking me to do something. He'll say, Tony, I want you to do this. I'll have an excuse of why I can't. And then he'll say, what did he say to the disciples? What was the thing he said right after? How many loaves do you have? What did he say? Go and see. This is a theme throughout scripture. That God is always wanting to open our eyes, to open our ears, that we might see him as he really is, that we might see what he can do, what his power is capable of. And the, the disciples go, okay, let's see what we can do. So it's like, okay, um, we're going to go to Mexico right now. Uh, everyone empty your pockets. We got a kid with a permit. We got a minivan. All right, good. Kind of foolish, kind of embarrassing. They come back and they say, Jesus, um, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. Imagine what the disciples would have been saying as they're trying to find something and to obey Jesus. Like, is this guy crazy? Oh, what is this problem? This is, there's no way this is going to happen. Do you have anything? I don't have anything. Was there grumbling? Was there frustration? Was there embarrassment? Was there insecurity? When I think about my position uh, in this story, I always feel insecure when Jesus asks me to do something. I never feel like I have enough I never feel like I'm capable to rise to the tasks that Jesus asked me. And I often feel foolish and I often feel afraid. And I think that's true of the disciples here. But what happens is they trust him because he pushes them to trust him. He says, okay, I know you can't see it right now, but I'm going to ask you to evaluate. Find out what you have. And so this is the beautiful thing. Jesus is God, right? Okay. Did he know what was out there? Yeah, I mean, he's human at this point, so uh, people could argue on either side. Um, but whatever they would have brought back to Jesus, whether it would have been a, a croissant and a sardine, he would have done something with it. 
he would have said, you know why I asked you to go and assess? Because I give you these things anyway. What I'm asking you to do, I also give you what you need to do it. So the beautiful thing here is Jesus takes the fish and the loaves. And then what does he do next? What does the scripture says? Say, what does he do? He thanks God. He lifts it up and he prays. And he does something miraculous in that moment. I think it's so beautiful. We don't know how it multiplied, but it did. Or maybe that, that basket with those five loaves and two fish. The next thing says, he just gave it to the disciples. So he didn't say, stand back to the disciples. Let me show you what I can do. He says, I want you to see what you have. I want you to bring it to me and let's link arms and do this together. And then he gives them the ability to go and he just starts passing out the bread. The disciples, all 12 of them, just start passing. I mean, I would have been a little nervous going, okay, he just prayed over there, but I don't see anything changing here. And then they sat people down in 50s and 100 and they just started passing and passing and passing and passing and passing and passing and it never ended. In fact, the scripture says they had more. They had leftovers, 12 baskets left over. And it says everyone was satisfied, which is a deep satisfaction. Oh, that was good. That was good food, right? So maybe Jesus is going to ask you to go to Mexico today or feed 5,000 people. But we know through scripture that he asks tons of questions because he desires to bring life within us. He desires us to be freed. He desires us to see who he is. So I want to give you a moment with your message notes on your phone or in writing here. I want to ask you, have you felt like God has asked you something recently or in the past? Maybe if you can't find something recently, what's, a, what's something God has asked you to do? Uh, Liz, there's a whole list of different things that God might ask us to do. I want us to see this and take a moment. Has he asked you to say something? Has he asked you to help someone? Start something? Change something? Give something? Eat something? Meaning maybe have a meal with someone who's really difficult. Let something go. Go somewhere. Stay somewhere. Forgive someone. Believe something. Take a moment. Jot down if anything comes to mind. Is there anything that comes to mind? And the bigger, the better, right? The, the, impossible, the most impossible, the better. The most insurmountable, outrageous thing that God asks us to do. It might be believe that Jesus is the way. Or that you're forgiven. Or that you're accepted. What is it for you? Take a moment and just jot that down. Up into this point in scripture, in Mark chapter six, Jesus had performed 18 different miracles, including turning water to wine, raising two dead people, healing, giving sight to the blind, and speech to the mute. The disciples had seen Jesus do many things, yet when they're asked to do this thing, they're astounded. And I get it, because every time Jesus asked me to do something, I feel the same way. And I feel like it started when I came to know Jesus. You know, my mom uh, was pregnant with me. She checked groceries at a grocery store and got pregnant by the butcher. Kind of sounds like a joke, doesn't it? Uh, that's my dad. He was the butcher at the time. <laughs> uh, 
they were pregnant outside of marriage, then they got married, then they got divorced. My whole life was marked by this not enough. I wasn't, I never felt like I was enough. Enough for God, enough for my family, enough for my friends at high school. And when I came to know Jesus at 17, when I came to know that I was loved and accepted for who I was, even though I did nothing to deserve that love of God, that marked me in a way that I felt like the the impossible is possible. So at 17, I start following Christ. And from that time on, I feel as if Jesus has continually asked me and invited me to do things that I continually want to say no to. When I was 17, I was a senior in high school. I'd only been following Christ a few years. Uh, the youth pastor there invited me to become a leader on the team of the youth group. I'm like, do you know I just started following Christ in August? This is like December or January. And two months ago, I was at a party and I almost got drunk again. He's like, I still want you to be like, what? No, I'm not enough. Um, When I was in college, uh, God invited me to start with some friends this prayer walk, that we started prayer walking around Chicago in the city. And I felt so insecure and so I, I was in a very diverse neighborhood that had gang violence and I felt f- afraid at different times um, because of the racial un- injustice that was happening there. And God one time with me and my roommates gave us this opportunity as we were praying this car screeched into the snowy December Chicago uh, neighborhood that we were living in. And this guy got out and said, hey, who here is the leader of the prayer walk? We're like, oh, oh gosh, oh my gosh. And our friends were like, uh, us? He said, I need you to pray for my sister. She was shot. She's on life support. Everyone looked around like, okay. <laughs> so we prayed for this, this guy, for his sister. We never saw him again. When uh, a few years ago, when God started to stir my heart for injustices like human trafficking and uh, racial equality, I thought, why me? Find somebody else. Come on. I'm a, you know, a, a, white, a white guy. We don't need this. We don't need, you don't need me. I said to all my friends of color, like, I want to see things happen in your life. I want to partner with you. And I felt like, where am I starting? And God said, start with what you have. You have friends with stories Listen to them. And now we're in this rooted group. And it's funny, I'm the only Caucasian in my rooted group. And I love it. And sometimes I tell them, like, I feel like I'm the minority here. And they go, welcome to our world, dude. Now you know what it feels like. And it's beautiful. I feel time and time again. You know, five years ago, I came back from a sabbatical. Uh, This church is so graceful to give sabbaticals to staff, which is like a three-month vacation where you just get to go. I was the college pastor at the time. And I came back like, woo, I love my life. I love my job. I was the college pastor. I get to hang out with 20-year-olds all the time, go to Denny's and stay out late, go to coffee shops. That's what I got to do. Every night of the week almost, I was out. And uh, then they said, hey, we need you to come in and worship the worship arts team. We need you to come and serve in this worship arts team. I was like, what? I was in choir in high school for three years and I played the trombone for one year and I quit. That's all the musical abilities I got. This is all I have. I didn't, somebody else, please. And I had to wrestle through that. And God said, yeah, you don't play the trombone anymore and you're not really a good singer. We should never put you on a microphone. But you have the Holy Spirit. And you're a worshiper. Uh, the same time, I was really wanting to do more acting stuff, and I really wanted to pursue um, making movies and doing theater and stuff, and I kept finding myself rejected or disappointed, or I'd go on these auditions and it wouldn't work. And then at around the same time, I felt from a friend uh, this nudge to start a group, to start making things happen, to start writing, to start making movies. And I thought, can't someone else do this? 
Why do I have to do it? All I got is acting experience. And again, God said, offer what you have. See what you have. See what I've given you. I already know what abilities and passions you have. Step into it. This is why this verse in 2 Peter has become a um, memorized verse in our home. Turning your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. This is a verse that uh, we regularly say in our home because without it, we find ourselves lost and living in excuses time and time again. It's 2 Peter chapter 2. This is written by one of Jesus' friends, one of the disciples who would have been at the feeding of the 5,000. He would have known what it have felt like to have Jesus ask him to do something that seemed outrageously huge. He knows what it felt like to make excuses and to want to run the other way. And he knows what it would have felt like to have not believed Jesus was enough or that he was enough and suffer consequences of denying that very savior and feeling the guilt and the grief and the shame. So Peter says this at the beginning of his letter in 2 Peter. He says, his divine power It'll be on the screen in a minute too. Has given us everything we need to live a godly life according to our knowledge of him. And by these very great and precious promises, we get to participate in the divine nature. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 basically says, we have everything we need to do the things that God has called us to do. By what? By his very spirit that lives within us. We have everything we need to live a godly life and we get to participate in being like God. That actually sounds controversial saying it, but Jesus asks us to walk in a way that we live in an unexplainable way. That our life is marked with, it just can't, doesn't make sense. You don't make sense the way you're living your life other than the power of God. Ephesians chapter three. And by the way, in our home, we always say, uh, this is what we do before we put our kids to bed. We have these verses. This is how we memorize scripture. We'll just say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the, and everyone says, the life. You know, John 14. Or I say, Second Peter chapter one. God has given us everything, everything we need to live a godly life. I don't think they really understand it, but my hope is these truths seep into my kids because I'm desperately trying to cling to it as well. And I'll tell you what, every day as a parent, I feel as if I don't have enough patience and enough wisdom, enough grace, enough strength, barely to change a light bulb, let alone to discipline my kids or to navigate through the challenging times in this life that they're trying to make sense of. And I wanna tell you just a quick story um, when it comes to not enough. Like I said, so much of my life has felt as if I wasn't enough or I didn't have enough. And a lot of it is because I believe lies about that. Maybe you believe them too. When we found out we were having our third child, we have had two girls already. Um, everyone's like, oh, I hope it's a boy. I hope you get a boy. Trying for a boy, right? That third's gonna be a boy. I was like, oh, cool. I hope I get a boy. I really want a boy, especially my dad. You know, the gap of stone name. Let's make it go forward. After we left the ultrasound, I cried when we found out we had a third girl. I cried in my car. I was overwhelmed and I was sad. And I'm embarrassed to say is because I believe that girls weren't enough. 
And because I was getting a third girl, there was something wrong with me that I wasn't enough. I cared more about the, the Gap of Stone name. Anyone who knows Game of Thrones, like House Gap of Stone. I wanted House Gap of Stone to move forward, to be the legacy. God was like, oh, no, no, Tony. That's not what's important. Gap of Stone's hard to pronounce anyway, so let's get that off your mind. <laughs> I care more about you seeing these girls as enough and as powerful and as influencers. And I'm entrusting them to you. And my wife was so good because in the car, we've had many times of praying in our car, crying. It's been an interesting uh, 13 years of marriage, which is almost next week. We, she grabbed my hand and she prayed for me. And the Lord spoke to me. These girls are going to change the world. I want you to see them just as powerful as boys. I want you to see these girls as having the power to influence the way that the world sees me because you're going to power uh, and pour my power into them. So again, I ended up opening my hands to God and saying, oh God, I am sorry. And to the women in this room, I'm sorry that we, this culture, we believe lies that you're not enough. We see it all the time in the way you're treated or objectified or in comparing your salaries to men doing the same things that you do. We have this culture that tells us you're not enough. You know what's crazy is uh, <clears throat> I, I, now I'm like this raging feminist, I believe. Like, oh, you know, like, oh, women are just as equal and more and amazing. Yes, I'm told. And I'm sad that it took daughters to get there, honestly, because I've had many conversations with women in my, uh, in my time that I go, oh, I just wasn't getting it. I wasn't listening. And I'm so sorry. And now God has showed me like, wow, you offer everything you have. Women, you offer who you are. Because you know what? There are some people who will even use this scripture to communicate to women that they're not as equal to men. Still to this day, oppressing women with the very words in this book. It makes me so sad. But Jesus is always coming back to say, what do you have? What do you have? Offer it to me. Who are you? You're enough. Guess what? I made you, I love you, I gave you everything you need. Second Peter 1, take it from the disciple who saw these things firsthand. We get to participate in the divine nature. We get to link arms with Jesus. What are you walking through right now? Who is Jesus asking you to forgive? Maybe he's asking you to stay here in the Bay Area with high rent and high mortgage. That's a miracle, right? Maybe he's asking you to leave your job and you don't know where you're gonna go. Maybe he's asking you to stay at your job and it's really hard. Your neighborhood, we did this whole bless strategy a couple months ago and we said, what if we saw the people in our neighborhoods as opportunities for conversations to listen and to learn and to bless? Maybe he's saying, I want you to have a meal with that person who's really difficult, who makes your neighborhood really challenging. What is it for you? I want you to meet my friend Gabe, who uh, I met at the, the Boys and Girls Club. He's got just the perfect story with us. Come on up here, Gabe. Uh, he worked at the Boys and Girls Club in Redwood City. We're now in a rooted group together, and I've learned a lot from him. And he's got a fish and loaves story. So go yeah. ahead and share that. Sure. Um, yeah, rooted group with Tony has been great. Uh, you are the only Caucasian, but I think with the same tone. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> You're a white Mexican. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, so growing up... Um, I had a plan for, for my life. I had it all figured out. Uh, I wanted to go to school. I wanted to uh, get married, get a job. I wanted to be a youth correctional counselor, buy a house, and have uh, 2.5 kids and coast off into the California sunset. Um, but my plan didn't really work out that way. Uh, in 2008, my, my vision had blown up in my face. So a couple things happened. The, uh, the woman that I thought I was going to marry at that time 
I found out that she was being unfaithful and it, it just completely shattered my heart. You know, a true heartbreak, not something you could get over with some, like some Netflix and ice cream. It just <laughs> took years to get through. Not only that, but uh, I'm from a place called Stockton, California, and I had a little bit of a knucklehead mentality in me and I had acquired a criminal record along the way too and it completely disqualified me from the job that I wanted to pursue. And on top of that, I was broke as a joke. I think I probably had just a little less than this right here to my name. Um, but I remember that during that time, uh, that's when I remember uh, my prayers during that time was, it was just complete submission to, uh, to God and saying, hey, you know, I was hanging on to these plans that I had, but I just want to offer it up to you. And I don't have much to offer, but whatever you put in my path, I'll capitalize on it and I'll work hard on it. Um, so the, the loaves of bread that I brought to him, <laughs> was a criminal record, uh, a degree from San Jose State that I couldn't use because of my criminal record, a broken heart, and a, a bag of change like that. And it was awesome So uh, to see how he multiplied that in my life. And like Tony, I was uh, insecure, of course, I was scared. I'm still insecure and scared in the things that I do, but I move forward through the power of the Holy Spirit like we talked about in the Rooted Group. But I got to see many uh, what I consider miracles in my life. I'd like to share some of those with you. Uh, very quickly. Uh, first, um, when I graduated, I studied psychology and social science, but God showed me a brand new set of skills I didn't even know I had, and that was in video production and editing. From there, I began directing and uh, producing videos and music videos for uh, MTV and BET. I met some great people in my life, like Tony, when I became the director of a, a media academy here in Redwood City at the Boys and Girls Club. My friend Ivan Ray is right there, um, really helped me through my journey. And not only that, but he also allowed me to go to graduate school here at Stanford University. Um, I graduated from the Learning Design Technology program. And then I started my own company, uh, media production, where we work with uh, the big tech tycoons like Google and Facebook and them, and also small startups, and we do online learning. If that wasn't enough, you know, and I was already, I felt like an imposter the entire time, right? Um, but then a, a former professor of mine uh, invited me to be a lecturer on his team at the School of Design at Stanford University, and I did that for two years, and we got to uh, teach uh, freshmen all the way through PhD students. And on the side, I do a little bit of speaking like this, and I inspire the youth uh, who got a little uh, dust on their halo like I do, <laughs> a little dirty halo, uh, and I got to do that. But what I love about your message that you're sharing with us right now is that by ourselves, it probably wasn't enough. I, I definitely feel that right now, you know, like... Uh, I can't even believe the things that, that I'm sharing right now, uh, but I know that all things are possible with God. So when I look back and I'm losing hope, I just like to take a look back and, and uh, it gives me faith and hope to move forward and do it again. Thanks. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. <clears throat> so what is it for you? What has Jesus asked you to do? What is he asking you to go and assess and bring to him? Go and see. I'm going to read some statements, maybe they identify with you, and then we're going to have communion. And what I love what Gabe said is we can't do it alone. I look at this couple right here, Russ and Chris Llewellyn. Can you raise your hands? They're on our prayer team. You know, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16 years ago when I was dating my wife, I didn't think I could get married. All I saw was divorce in my family, multiple divorces, multiple horrible conflicts. I felt like there was no way I could ever get married because it wouldn't work for me. I couldn't do it. Without their help and their prayer and their counseling, I wouldn't be where I am today as a husband and a father. I'm so grateful that we get to do, the, do this together. So is this, who, who, what do you identify with? I don't have enough time. 
I don't have enough courage, don't have enough patience, I don't have enough money or resources, I don't have enough boldness, I don't have enough energy, I don't have enough grace, I don't have enough what? What is it for you to do the things that God has asked you to do? Let me pray and remind you, you do when you link with Jesus. And maybe today some of us need to do that for the first time. Maybe you're thinking, like, I, that's why I don't want to follow Jesus, because he's always asking us to do crazy things, and it's true. <laughs> crazy, hard things all the time, all the time. But we can do it together. If that's you today, come talk to us. We're going to have communion right now, and I'm going to uh, pray and invite us. These elements are what Jesus gave to us, because what he gave was everything he had, his body and his blood. And every time we have communion, he invites us to evaluate. Do you believe it? Do you believe I love you? Because I gave my body and my blood for you. Do you believe you're worthy? Because you are. I gave my body and my blood for you. Do you believe you can be accepted? Because you are. I gave my body and my blood for you. And we come around these tables together. This is juice and these are little wafers. And sometimes we come and say, I don't have enough, but in Christ I do. This is what I offered to you, God. Forgive me for not believing. Forgive me for missing. I've missed so many opportunities in the past because I didn't believe. I was too afraid. Sometimes the things that God asks us to do seem foolish. People are gonna make fun of me. They're gonna talk behind my back. They're gonna think I'm not adequate to do those things. Why should I be in that leadership position? Why should I move to this area? Why should I have this job? Would you open your hands with me as I pray? God, thank you so much that you are enough, that every one of us has been invited to trust and to believe, to forgive, to go, to share, to stay, to move, to surrender, to speak up or quiet down. Thank you for partnering with us, Jesus, and for giving us your blood and your body that we might remember every time, even when we feel unworthy. Thanks for asking these hard questions and stirring faith and inviting us to trust. We wanna follow your spirit everywhere you lead. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.